0: Hi, this is Maria Walsh, and welcome to the Parachute Candidate podcast. Joining me for today's conversation is Dr. Niall Dumpy, who works at the School of Engineering and Architecture and the Environmental Research Institute at the University College Cork. Niall leads the Cleaner Production Promotion Unit, which is a multidisciplinary research group working on sustainability with a key focus on people's relationship with energy and the energy system. Niall shares with us his upbringing in the Midlands of Ireland and how he found his career from working from the land. I learned a lot from this conversation, not just as an individual, but also as a policymaker here in the European Parliament. And this conversation comes at such an important time as world leaders gather in Dubai for COP28. I got to admit, there's a lot to learn from and discuss and lean into when we talk about our climate and our biodiversity loss. And as someone who works in the policy development piece, um, I took away a lot of this, a lot of what my behaviour, my consumption, my belief, my lack of belief in certain parts of our environment and how to tie it all together. Niall is very pointed, which I welcome, in what we can do collectively to protect our biodiversity, to protect the island of Ireland and our European Union and world as a whole. And from this conversation, I began to delve deeper into, well, what are world leaders saying and ultimately not saying at COP28? What am I saying as a policymaker and what am I not doing as a policymaker to really make impactful change? I hope you learned as much as I did from this. And this is just one small step into what we as people can do better, uh, can do with more urgency, and what ultimately we need to learn more from are academics like Niall and his team at the Cleaner Production Promotion Unit. Here's our conversation. Dr. Nile Dunphy, I'm delighted to have you on the Parachute Candidate podcast. Thank you so much for, for gifting us with your time, uh, and I'm really excited for uh, to understand your lived experience around sustainability, around circular economy, and all things that you're you're going to educate me on, and 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 hopefully the many listeners that are tuned in. But I really want to kind of start from the start. Um, you're an accredited scholar and uh, contributor to Ireland's journey to a more sustainable future. But can you share your own journey within that, just so we can get an understanding of of who you are and where you come from?
1: First of all, thank you for inviting me to talk to you. Um, suppose my journey began, and like all of our journeys in our childhood, I was, came from a, from a rural background, living in the countryside. And I think it was that closeness to nature that really drove my interest in sustainability in 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 the environment. And it was from that then that I, I suppose I really instilled by my parents, this love of nature, uh, this respect for nature. Uh, And that's, been, I suppose the main driver of my of whatever I've done in my life I was going to say my life's work. I'm not quite that old yet. But uh, for perfect.
0: those who who might be listening internationally, um, where's home for you? Where did you grow up, and where did that grow that love of nature so start from?
1: Home for me originally was in the Irish Midlands, so County Leash, on the borders of farming land and bog land, and everything in between. So there was all types of different landscapes and naturescapes. Um quite a quite a it's almost a kind of a cliche to say it but a very rich environment for a young person to run around in um rivers and wilderness getting quite nostalgic thinking about it
0: i mean we are in many cases uh you know the lived the lived journeys of where we grew up from so uh, you speak to a lot of people who work within the space that you do or you hear from them and um, it is that first taste of, of, uh, of seeing the environment in all its beautiful forms that, that, that appetite starts from. Take me through the sustainable studies then, you know, uh, you're only about 21 years young. That's, uh, uh, I'm going to stick with that one. Um, won't, won't give any ages away. Uh, like, you know, when you started the educational journey to where you are now, you know, this is where I'm going to get in trouble. Did were you the first on courses? Were you calling for them? Were you um, you know, because you're 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 as the heart of that academic journey um and the leader in in Ireland in, in these in this sustainable conversation.
1: I, I go back again to my children. I think my parents always had a great respect for education. Um our, our, our house was full of books from an early age and lots of nature books, lots of environmental books. Um, and it was just that, and then reading that, and staying up late at night when I shouldn't have been reading those books that really you know brought me into that area um I was the first in my family to go to college, so I was a first timer from that respect um I didn't always know what I wanted to be, and as I say to my kids now, I'm still not sure what I want to be when I grow up, but I know it's something contributing. To our and you rightly said it's a journey to that sustainability journey. Um, so I, I suppose I went to college in Limerick. I, I studied in environmental science in Limerick originally. Having previously um, done some studies in, that, in agricultural science and food science, so a nice mixture, nice background to understanding that. Latterly, then in in Cork, I I undertook a master's in public policy. Looking at, looking at environmental policy in particular, and then my, then my doctoral studies were uh, rather interdisciplinary in nature. They were in the Faculty of Engineering, as you see, um, but they were interdisciplinary in nature. And I was looking at the values that derive from retrofitted buildings, and thus non-monetary values derived from that. And I suppose um, that's been the center of my work has been the human and societal aspects of sustainability and how we can bring that on board in this conversation.
0: Which segues so lovely into my next com- uh, my next question for you because um, I would love to hear your and, and understand the links between uh, society, sustainability, energy, individualism, um, and 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 I'm so I'm super conscious I, I I'm in I'm in a chat with an academic uh, a, a doctor an academic um, but when I speak with people um, across Midlands Northwest, where, where I do a lot of my work, um, the feedback I often get is, well, there are these big words and big ideas. Um, and, and for me actually, and I'm in the space of policy and, and discussing sustainability, um, circular economy, environment, uh, climate crisis that we've, you know, I can understand the confusion and the disconnect um, uh, at times that leaves leaves people, and then you hear the narrative of, of rural versus urban, big member state versus small member state, big country, ver- you know, big continent versus small continent, and um, and and for me, can you can you break it down? Like, what are these big words and ideas, and ultimately, how do we all play that part? That's a big question. I apologize.
1: <laughs> that is a big question. Uh, I well. Suppose- if you think about it um, um historically, the energy system has always been seen as a technical construct. It was this infrastructure that was put in place. it was the the first real expression of sovereignty by the young Irish state when we established the s b and the and the hydro dam and the shannon and it really captured that nature of energy. It's always seen as this um um brilliant resource that was being harnessed from nature and being given to the people. And they were seen as something that experts did. And we, the people at the end of um, the electrical wires or the gas pipelines, we were simply just benevolent or we were, I suppose, we're passive consumers. We were supposed to be grateful, you know, and realistically, that's the way it has been up until relatively recently. But energy is far more than just the, the pipes, lines or the electrical lines or even the interconnectors. Um, the energy system is very much a socio technical system. And, and in, and in many ways, the social part of that system are, is almost the more complex part of it. And energy is intertwined into everything we do in life. So when we get up in the morning and, you know, you go to the European Parliament and, uh, I go to my workplace. We, you know, we generally take showers. We present ourselves. You know, we don't decide that we're going to use one kilowatt hour of electricity. We just turn the switch and get in the shower and make ourselves make ourselves presentable for the wider world. And um, so, everything we do in the modern world, every aspect of life, is very much interwoven with energy and the use of energy. This is why, you know. Those type of campaigns that we would have seen in decades gone by about, I suppose, encouraging people to use less electricity or to use less energy. They can only go so far because energy is, is so interwoven in our daily practices. We need we really need to address how we live our lives and what practices we do and how we do that. And there's a big connection, I suppose, between energy and sustainability, obviously. Energy is, is you know, it's it's the foundation on which modern life is built. But at the same case, at the same time, at least, the sources of energies that we're currently using, and particularly so in Ireland, are are far too carbon intensive. And they're contributing to climate change we've all seen these last few months, the extreme that that is happening already. And it's only going to get worse. So there's a very much a close relationship between energy, people's lives and the climate and it's a it's a really is a um i suppose a feedback loop there as well because our daily lives are going to be changed by the climate change which has been caused by our use of energy which has been driven by the way we wish to live our lives
0: um thanks for explaining it the way you did actually I, i've never heard um the historical context used um and actually the the deep Rooted connection or or that conscious decision we make every day when we get up and make, and to your point, make ourselves presentable. Um, and us here connecting as we're having this chat, lights are flickering, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're in heated spaces uh, and places. Um, uh, and we had to get from A to B in some shape or form. So, uh, that that was, that was really, uh, powerful the way you explained that. Do, do we think or do you think in your capacity uh, as a leader in this field that, that that message is getting through? That we're understanding the complexity of this and the fact that we as individuals as a society have to make this have to make these um small decisions every day in order to make a bigger impact overall or, or how would you how would you rectify that?
1: I think well I would I would suggest that many people still, particularly many people in power, still think of energy and I think of the energy system as a through a through a technocentric lens. And um, many of them are what we would call techno optimists. All our problems are going to be solved by the next new invention. All we need is um, is ingenuity and uh, and hard work, and we can solve any problem while, of course, causing multiple others. Um, and, uh, and the fact remains that for us to overcome the current crisis that we're in, the, uh, the climate crisis that we're in, we don't only need to you know, decarbonize our, our energy system, but we need to decarbonize our lives. We need to change the way we organize and the way we live our lives. Um, we're often portrayed as energy consumers, but um, none of us actually wish to use energy. We wish the things energy can do for us. So therefore, our relationship with energy is not direct relationships and indirect relationship, and we need to think about it in a more uh, in a more holistic way what are what is important for people, what do people actually want, uh, I, I, and in that way, and a lot of my work is about bringing people into discussion about envisioning our energy future. You know, um, far too often we're and we're left listening to you know the so-called experts who know best and uh, this is why communities up and down the length of Europe are are in many ways are rebelling against the energy transition as it's been presented to them uh, because they don't feel it's it's of them it's for them or that it respects their perspectives that's not to say that that communities or individuals should have a veto on any of these decisions, but they should be involved in, in 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 those dialogues.
0: What I took from there is moving from the unconscious to the conscious way of of living. Am I right in phrasing that? That you know, some some of us are 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 uh, are understanding what we spend, how we spend it, but not others. Um, and I know I'm presenting that a very us and them, and I sim- I don't mean yeah, it like that, but I just mean. What is it that we collectively need to do then to bring all these forces together?
1: Well, I suppose, first of all, there needs to be an understanding that, um, yes, indeed, um, individual actions are very important and they're they're so important. And we need to stress that people need to change their behavior. Moreover, they need to change their expectations of life. You know, they need to um, realize that, you know, the era of jetting around the world is, is probably not going to be here too much longer if it ever should have been here. That the you know, non-stop air conditioning is, is probably not the way we go. So we need to really understand that you know, we can't have everything. If everybody was to live like we live in Europe, then the world would just simply collapse. So we need to um, find a way that we can still live our best lives, to use that term, but without necessarily causing so much harm to the planet. Um, but it goes without saying that that individual action, on its own, is not enough, and, and too many governments are pushing this idea of "you make the difference." And um, the power, you know, the so-called and um, so-called active consumer will give you information, and you can influence the market by your purchasing decisions and your consumption habits, and you do all that. And what that's doing in effect is that it's it pushing or it's trying to transfer the responsibility for, for uh, from change from the governments and those with power like the energy companies, uh, the state bodies, to the individuals who who really don't have that much agency in the whole thing. So a lot of decisions do need to be made collectively, do need to be made at government levels or at, at municipal levels, and uh, that takes leadership and. We don't see enough of that. There's far too much of this. We need to encourage people to do more, but no, we need governments and other bodies to do more. And it's, that collective action is is, is so vital for what we do.
0: do. You, something that really interests me in, uh, amongst the work that you do is um, the Cleaner Production Promotion Unit. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about this? Mm-hmm. It, is that essentially just all that you have shared there in, in terms of advertising?
1: That is essentially yeah. So that's that's my research group that I, that I lead at the Haliden University College of Cork. Um we're based in the School of Engineering and in the Environmental Research Institute at at the university. Um we're a multidisciplinary team, so we have we have human geographers, we have political scientists, engineer scientists, and all of whom are working in a very multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary way. Um you know to address the type of issues that we've been talking about um the name itself um or it's probably and the more fashionable term would be sustainable consumption it's and production hard to get that in but uh back when they back when the unit was established it uh, and the term of today was cleaner production and it has served as well, so we'll we'll keep using it for the time being.
0: I think it rolls off the tongue uh cleaner production promotion unit quite well uh. In some of the acronyms and and phrases that we use here, particularly in the Brussels bubble, but um, but that it, it's so fascinating because when you uh, as you as you were speaking there, you know, I was my brain was moving into Ireland's um, role or Ireland's ink's role, and um, and then our role as an EU member state um, wow. and actively working towards achieving a more sustainable and circular economy. Um, you know, as you shared in your, in, in the promotion unit, you know, multidisciplinary intersection, you know, right across the board. Um, and I have to ask, like, are we doing enough and what more can we do? And I, and and, and I say that from an and ink and a European perspective and kind of moving away from, uh, oh. I fully understanding your point around the individualism that, uh, it's brave leadership now. Um, uh, should have been uh, a leadership at a governmental level at a european level uh, and across the world to make these to make these drastic changes that we need in order to make sure that we have environments that you so um eloquently shared at the start of this conversation around uh, having boglands forestry lakes right in the midlands
1: I suppose the simple answer is no, we're not doing enough. We simply just have to look around to see that we're not doing enough um, on so many different levels. We're not doing enough individually. We're consuming far too much. Um, we're consuming far too much of the wrong thing. We're eating food out of season. We're importing foods. We're oh, um, probably eating three times as much meat as our parents did. You know, so we're actually, in some ways, we're actively moving towards um, an even bigger problem. That's just at the individual level. And collectively, the state is not doing it enough and, and in fact, there's no state is doing enough mm-hmm. in, in this way. Um, any form of of polity is always, uh, and you know this as a politician, but any form of polity, it's decisions are emerge from negotiation and, and competition uh, and emerge from these structures and you never get a good response. It's always a, a, um, compromise to multiple different people. And we are living in times of such, uh, such a crisis that we, we need to take stronger action, but we need to be honest to people, uh, far too often the energy transition is portrayed as a win-win, and quite frankly, is not a win-win. There are going to be losers in the energy transition. So, as I, I, I said at the start of the interview, I come from half the Irish Midlands, where we have a lot of bogland, a lot of people still save turf to heat their homes, and it's portrayed as you know we need to get people to stop doing that. But right across the Midlands and in, in your own constituency. In the that there would be a lot of households who would simply fall into energy poverty who didn't have access to, to this fuel that they harvest. It's a major part of how they of how they provide for themselves so the answer to that is not just saying you can't do it but to you know to upgrade the houses in these areas to such a way that it's not needed but that way of thinking is is um doesn't seem it doesn't seem to gain gain a lot of support
0: because I know in terms of retrofitting from your perspective, is it these things like retrofitting or future proofing your home from a government or European level? there's just not enough funding going into it to make it happen at a at a speedier process, or politics is playing devil's advocate by kind of speaking from both sides of their mouth, saying, well, we have to allow transition mm. to happen, and then we also need retrofits to homes. And I'm probably, you know, personally, I'm probably in the ladder of that. And this is where I really, I really want you to, you you, you all did me, trust me, but because I struggle with knowing I have family members who use turf to eat their homes, uh, who don't have the money to retrofit tomorrow or are older, uh, an older generation that, you know, we're going to continue using turf until, you know, how would you say, I mean, ultimately I'm trying to ask you, you're like, well. Marie, that's not sufficiently good enough, and you have to be brave and say this needs to happen today. And here is the money to do it, um, and here is the policy that needs to happen. And we need to hold people accountable to then allowing that transit, or the other hand, allowing that transition to happen.
1: I think, well, first of all, we have to acknowledge that there's going to be a, there's going to be a capacity issue if we, as we increase the amount of renovation of uh, houses, we're going to grow up against a capacity issue, and we've already seen that. The construction sector in Ireland—that's something that we need to overcome. So there has been work done on on upskilling people and on building that cohort of people who can actually deliver these retrofits. But a lot more needs to be done in that. And we need to acknowledge that, that. that is probably the biggest constraint to that. Um, a lot of government support, and not not necessarily just in Ireland, but internationally, a lot of government support for the type of renovation we're talking about goes towards the middle classes. It's in the forms of grants. So for those of us, those of us who have the finance to do it, we can we can draw it on a grant and then we can save money. But those who are at the margins of society, those who are in rented accommodation, those who are in, in um, you know, own their own properties but maybe don't have the finance to do it, they're, they're excluded from all of this discussion. Um, I think we need to we need to target the funds that we have better. It needs to be at the those who have leased um and maybe we need to start thinking about mandatory upgrades of houses you know and nobody likes being told what to do with their property and I'm sure there's constitutional issues with that as well but we we simply can't allow people to have um you know such large consumption of energy going forward. We need to work with them and we're are uh, needed we need to um need to encourage them and and prod them along
0: um and to your earlier point though around you know the and and i and i do i i appreciate what you're saying when you say even policy coming from here in terms of fit for fifty five um and i'll i'll make sure to include some info from a european standpoint around fit for fifty five um <laughs> I'm assuming from what you shared you're probably not happy I shouldn't assume but I'm going to assume in this case uh you're probably not happy where that let, let, where that was because it was compromise and negotiation to bring all actors together so the ambition where it may have started out was very big and very bold um and I mean that in a in a celebrated way not a not a negative way but in where it ended perhaps wasn't as ambitious as you wanted it or ultimately where the environment needed it to be. Would, would that be correct in saying?
1: I think we, yeah, we would all, and we would have liked to have seen a stronger package. I think if it was being negotiated now, knowing now what we know about energy and the other energy crisis that we're facing, I think we would be going stronger, I think. Um, yeah, there's, it is a... It is a difficult, and politics is a difficult art. And I and I pity those of you who are involved in it. But it is um, it is about persuading people of the right thing that needs to be done. But um, sometimes that involves listening to people. I think maybe that's what's missing from this whole conversation is that we're not listening to people. We're all talking at each other.
0: I agree with you on that point. I do. Um, picking up from what you just shared there. Um. Uh, and looking at the Irish Environmental uh, Protection Agency, um, the top five things to do for a circular economy are, as they phrased it, rethink, repair, reuse, buy to last, and recycle. Uh, and a lot of your work focuses on collaboration to achieve a more circular and sustainable economy. Should we sh- should we focus on a collaborative a collaborative action more than individual? Or do they go hand in hand?
1: I think they go hand in hand. Is the short answer to that? Um, just going back to your question and the and the five principles of the circular economy. I think what's often overlooked is that first one that rethink: Do you actually need something? We see it in terms of the move towards electric vehicles. So we've done a number of um, a, a number of community engagements where we. have work with communities to envision their energy future. And the message that has come from governments, not necessarily a particular government, but from governments and public agencies, is that we're all going to move to towards electric cars. And so much so that, you know, more people now would see themselves as having electric cars in the future than have, than have internal combustion engines at the moment. So we're actually going to have more cars in the moment. So the question is, do we need what we're going to buy whether it be an electric vehicle whether it be a a uh, new television or you know are we just buying for the sake of buying And it, it, it's that um, culture of consumerism that has has evolved well, in Ireland at least over the last kind of generation or so uh, that is um, so toxic and it really is a um, you see it in everything just you know throw away fashion um, not that I used not that not that I use too much of that, but I know younger people who do, and it's just you know you buy something and you can never be seen wearing it again, because it's just not the thing. So it's it's that type of uh, culture. Um. So the other thing is yes, and it goes back to what I've talked about earlier about individual actions. It's very important that we you know that we do there's individual actions. but none of us live in isolation. We're Part of a society, part of a culture, um, so we're impacted by government policies, by the market structures, by what's on sale in our local shops. Um, you know, and in different parts of different countries, you will have different, different levels of uh, supply. Different choices will be available to you. Um, you know what technology is available, both in terms of what technology actually exists, but is also affordable for you, can be fit into your lifestyle. And then social norms is a big one. So what does society expect of us? And this is something that changes, you know, quite rapidly at times, you know. Um, we spoke earlier in jest about how, you know, we're forced to have our daily shower because people, you know, would like us to smell a bit better when they walk beside us. But, you know, that probably wasn't the norm in previous generations. But now it is. And so these social norms evolve and develop over time uh, and are just as influential on in people's behavior, people's practices as, um, you know, a conscious thought. Um, governments and, and public agencies would like to think that we are rationalist creatures, that we make rational decisions, but we're not. We're far from it. Um, we have at the very least, or at the very most, we have a bounded rationality, but even that's probably... probably exaggerates the amount of rationality we have. Um, We do things a lot by instinct and a lot of what we do is just by muddling through life and a lot of decisions we make are by muddling through life and we're influenced by different things such as the issues I mentioned before, the social norms, government regulations, um, you know, physical infrastructure is a big thing that influences how we do things. So I think we need but the individualistic approach, but also we need to look at how we can collectively work together, and that's not just the state, but it's also it's also communities coming together, and whether that be in the form of the energy cooperatives that are doing so much good, whether it's in the form of um, you know local action groups or whatever it be, but that that form of collection, that that form of collective action is very important, and it's very healthy actually for democracy, and it's something that we probably don't recognize so much
0: i remember um a number of years ago uh nearly 10 uh years at this point i went to uh calcutta in india with the hope foundation actually a court-based organization that does a lot of work out in out in calcutta um and uh i went to a place called Howrah dump um and i have never seen I've never seen so much waste in my entire life in one place. Um, and you had, uh, women, uh, all generations and and young kids picking from the dump, um, different plastics, uh, different fabrics, um, and they would sell on. And it was like miles long and clean rivers. Well, not so clean, but rivers running, uh, right beside them, um, um and a lot of human waste uh going in hospitals dropping off stuff uh into the rivers um and that was a normal environment and i realized my my ignorance to actually the world we live in because where i am where i live um uh in a small village called Shrule just on the border between Mayo and Galway in the west coast of ireland um I drive the car line uh, going from Goa City into South Mayo um, very often. Uh, I pass uh, uh, a dump um, in our area. If you go at certain p- points in the night, um, you can certainly smell it. Um, and, but yes, and I, and I mean this like uh, from a consumption and in an individual behavior that leads to a wider behavior, I mean. You know, I equally then will was buying into for many years that fast fashion piece. Well, to your point earlier, you know, I was part of uh, a part of a f- festival a number of years ago, so I wore that outfit. Probably can't wear that again because it was on social media. So leave uh, leave for another friend or family to use. More than likely, they didn't want to use it, so uh, I either uh, threw it away or um, I I donated it. But then. So, celebrate myself on the back to say, well, well done, you, you know, you were part of that circular economy for a hot second. But then to the extremism of what I saw in Calcutta, I was like, we are like, I am the problem. And, and I mean this, um, um, you know, in, in full vulnerability in the sense of, I, I, I often get flabbergasted into the amount, to your point, the amount of consumption we have, that fast fashion piece. Uh, the amount of water that even goes towards that. Um and then we leave it for others, which is what we see here in the wider environmental lens. We leave it for others to pick up um mm-hmm. to pick up the debris. Um and it is a sense of privilege and it is from a place of privilege and, and I and and I, I I say that um yeah I, I you know I think that's uh that's an honest and fair, uh uh assessment to, to that and then and then i'm lost in terms of the action you know of like well you, you know and i know mm. we keep coming back to it and, and i don't mean to to keep boxing on it but when you look at um you know stats from eurostat um what 12 percent of material resources used in the eu came from recycled waste materials we have one of the worst figures as a country in the eu um quite similar to finland but i say that because i think i'm trying to make myself feel better um which is not right either like and what can we do is there an effective and timely way to improve improve ireland's our individual record and how do we do that
1: i for us, for us it's probably good to acknowledge what you've just said about about your visit to india that um a lot of the environmental impacts of what we do whether it is um, through our very wasteful consumption or whether it's through um, the greenhouse gases that we produce, those environmental impacts are felt by people in the global south. Um, they're externalised. We don't see them. We don't feel them. Therefore, it's not. A, I think you know there is a deal of, of knowledge to be maybe spread about that. Uh, that's a huge issue. As regards how we can... We'll change that. Like, I suppose looking at looking at the policy tools that people use. Um, Western governments tend to concentrate a lot of their efforts on, on environmental related policies, on, on things like education, on um on enabling, which is very good, on persuading people, uh perhaps on training. But they seem to have forgotten that they have other tools in their policy toolkit, you know. There's probably insufficient uh, restrictions and prohibitions. There's probably insufficient use of the fiscal measures that can be used because these are less popular with people. Um, so it's always nicer to portray, yes, we're going to do this with the environment, but we're going to do it in a way that nobody will feel the pain. Well, that's not possible, you know. Um, the problem is that those who should feel the pain are probably those most likely to vote, It's those who are probably among the most privileged in our society, Uh, those who have the most agency, the most voice, are listened to the most, and are probably those who the people in our halls of various chambers of governance, put in that broad sense, would, um, would relate to most because they see themselves and that's just uh chosen it's something that we need to, uh, to, uh, to there is need for for uh, 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 for radical action, but I don't necessarily see it coming from government on their own without without outside influence
0: and then you've you've recently done some i mean to to back up what you're sharing there because i know you've you've done some uh work um your findings as a lead investigator on accept um like what did you find from analyzing the governance in socio political contexts?
1: Yeah, so so Accept is a it's an Horizon twenty twenty project funded by the European Union. It's a multinational project. Uh, we're one of the partners in that in that project. It's um led by a Greek company, quite an interesting project that's looking at energy communities. And the study that you're talking about is it, we looked, examined, really, I suppose, forward factors that um, that condition people's engagement with, with community energy, for example. Uh, and there's a lot of things that really inhibited it. You know, there was things like lack of trust in the in the public sector, you know, that was quite pervasive through a lot of countries. Not all, but many countries, the public sector is simply not trusted. Um we any consolation, the private sector is it, 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 even trusted even less. Um, there was a, I suppose, there's limited funding and access to funding. And that's, that's always an issue with things like that. The lack of institutional support was another finding. Um, a big one, I think it's something that we really need to grapple with is the uncertainty on the policy front and the constant changing in renewable energy policies, renewable energy supports. Um, you know, like, like we're dealing with, um, parliamentary spans of four, five, six years, depending on the country. And if your policies are going to change every time there's a change in government, then that's not any way to create a business plan. Um, I think a big thing as well was that a lot of, of what has been done and this speaks to what we spoke about earlier, it, it really excludes those who are, who are more vulnerable. In our society, from projects, so we speak about community energy, for example. But m- the vast majority of, of community energy projects, you know, don't include those who are who are at the real margins of society. You know, it, it's it really is reliant on those within the communities who who have the financial resources, who have the knowledge, who have the capabilities of join. Now I know there are a number of initiatives that are trying to expand that out, but that type of inclusion is not widespread. It's, it's not very common at all. So I think we, we need to improve the institutional structures, the institutional support. Um, definitely there needs to be a, a broad agreement and the policy base going forward so that sort of investments can be made in a, in, 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 in a more, um in a more timely way. Uh, that, I suppose better information sharing and uh, and knowledge sharing and that, but it it um uh, I mean, it really comes down to structuring, and uh, and enabling.
0: Do you think um, or what role do you think education plays in this? From a uh, from a young you know a young schoolgoer level right up until well I, I'm a champion of lifelong learning and. Given the amount of letters you have before your name and after your name, I would Im- I would imagine you'd you'd also feel the same. Um, you know, in 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 your experience, do you think education is a key here? Um,
1: I think education is is of vital importance, absolutely. And you know, you would say that, wouldn't you? As a response that people said to me, but it's it's not only education; it's it's different types of education. So, um in our university in Cork we're 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 making great attempts and actually doing quite a lot of trying to integrate sustainability into the wider curriculum. You know, we need our new business leaders or new engineers to have an understanding of sustainability. It's not enough to have, you know, world leading courses on earth science or environmental science or uh, you know, they're all needed, but we need throughout all of the various disciplines. There needs to be an appreciation of sustainability, and that's 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 part of it. But but it it goes beyond that. I think we we need a right from right from primary school up. We need a, an appreciation of nature, an appreciation of the natural world, um, not just as something for humans to use, or not just because it looks good. You know, we shouldn't just be saving a, a, a habitat because it appeals to our sense of what something should look like. But you know, for its intrinsic worth. And is that is that biodiversity. So there's a I definitely would believe that there's a great value in in that type of education, that type of support for learning. Uh, not necessarily formal learning. Um I think the Green Schools has been a great example of an approach that has has developed up in the primary schools and secondary schools of Ireland. And, and, you know, it amazes me. Nearly every school I pass by in Ireland has a green flag. And it's just, you know, really is, is, is great. Um, in Cork, we, we were the first university to get a green campus flag. So we had students who came up through that system, came into UCC and said, why don't we have a green flag? And it was, it was really student driven. So the university has changed. And I don't know how much you know about, it, but. Cork as an institution has really, has really uh, changed over the last decade. So, the university has has has, um, has become one of the world leading green universities, and a lot of that has been driven by students, has been driven by younger people, and that has all come from the likes of the Green Flag, the likes of of of, of, um, of education, and people asking questions. So, education is excellent. Is key part it's, it's, of this.
0: I I remember visiting um um a, a phenomenal school in um an Educate Together school in Mullingar uh, in the Midlands um and uh, they have a green flag uh and I was going in to dis- discuss uh blue flag so European uh European project school <laughs> and uh I was asking the students uh they had a they had a small green committee uh I was asking the students how they were getting on and. They do spot checks in the teacher's, uh, teacher's room uh, and, and in, the, in the staff room to make sure they're recycling and composting effectively um, and making sure everybody's adhering to the green policies. A, a teacher was saying, I'm not going to lie, it has helped because I'm terrified because the talking down I get from seven, eight, nine-year-olds about my, my habit uh, and habits of how I use things and recycle, you know, made me wake up to the fact of uh, and that and that played out into her own life and her own home life. So uh to say Sharon that I remember that and and um uh you know well I hate I, I hate to say scaremongering uh, works because we shouldn't have well we shouldn't have to do that. But uh in that case it was uh it, it really worked uh for for her and and champion of 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 the young people that are taking it so much more serious than, um, perhaps, uh, even I as, as, as a public representative for half of Ireland, um, and, and the seriousness of that. Can, can I ask, you know, right. Final few questions. Like what advice would you give, um, to people listening to this to create that more sustainable household, uh, community? workplace um given given all um given all that you do within the space.
1: Yeah. Um I suppose the first thing is is, is to acknowledge that you are having an impact on the environment and we all need to do that. And it may not be um may not be easy for us to admit that. Um it's like it's always difficult for people to, um, I, I'm supposed to understand something when their livelihood depends on them, not understanding anything to paraphrase uh, an American businessman. And there's a lot of our, our wealth in Ireland that are created by by industries that are impacting on the environment. And it's not sufficient without naming any particular industry, but it's not particular to say that, but oh, we're doing a better than others that's not enough we need to really look at what we're doing i think that's the first thing and it goes right down from what we do in our professional life what we do in our home life i think to answer your question more succinctly we need to start small integrate small changes into your life so um do it in a systematic way uh and then build on that so I think it's like anything if you try to change everything overnight it's not going to happen Um, you need to bring people with you whether that's your household whether that's your community that's your workplace that's the company that you own your employees wherever you need to bring people with you and that's that's an element of, of communication there and as we mentioned a couple of times during our conversation that also involves listening that's a something I think that many governments could do with learning that that communication is two way that sometimes you know you need to listen just as much as speak and that's that's a key part of it is to try and bring people along and get that buy in for people and there's no easy answers um, but we do to meet and we do need to make changes and we need to make changes quickly um, at the individual level there's only so much we can do but what we need to do that in our communities we, there's probably more that we can do collectively and then there's a lot that needs to be done at the state and European level and I suppose the way we do that is by is by influencing people like you, is by talking to people like you, lobbying you, voting or not voting for people who are, who are putting up policies that we support. Um, so we need to, um, I suppose, take ownership for not just our own lives but also those for whom we are voting for. And, um, you know, it's not, uh, we need to bring sustainability and the environment concerns up the agenda when we consider these type of things but that's easier said than done No
0: but we got to get there right and, Well, and sooner rather than later um, Final question, yeah. anything I didn't ask you that you, you really wanted to put across to, to listeners new to the space or in the space already
1: No, no I think you've You've been a very good interrogator. You've me um, quite a lot. And I think the key thing, and it goes to everyone, is just like we need to talk to each other. We can't be talking at each other. We need to listen to people. Um, a lot of the work that I do is on energy poverty. So people who are unable to heat their homes, work with their homes. And, and you know, many of the people I speak to are not being listened to in the debate on the energy transition you know um, they're being told that their solution to their their issue is to use energy more efficiently actually they're already using the minimum amount of energy they could possibly use so it's just that listening to people uh, and listening to their concerns um, we speak increasingly of the need for energy citizenship for example and that we need to become you know people need to become more involved and more active and Take ownership of, of this changing energy um, environment that we see, but yet then when people um, use their agency to and uh, to protest against something that they don't want, they're seen as being, you know, not being good citizens. So, you so we're invited to be energy citizens or environmental citizens, but only within the certain defined boundaries that those in power wishes to be. This is to be active, and that's really not good enough, and I don't think it's gonna be it's gonna be the case.
0: I'm grateful to Dr. Dumphy for this conversation, and I don't take for granted the urgency in his voice, especially as a policymaker in the European Parliament, and I hope you heard that throughout, because I do not take for granted the work he's been telling us to do for for years. And I left really seeing The the views he had as a young person in the Midlands of Ireland and and ultimately what he sees now as an academic. Please check out the Cleaner Production Promotion Unit. As we learn from Niall, the focus of the unit is multifold, from energy, citizenship and democracy. How our behaviours and consumption practices are working for and against our environment. This difficult period of transition and the speed of which I and my colleagues, both in Europe and Ireland, need to use our leadership to be braver and understand the importance of public conversations and education on our environment and what it all means. It's not up to our young people to make this so urgent. It's up to us all. Given all that Niall has shared of his youth, his career to date, his vision for our island and our world, I really... I left this conversation thinking of the quote, we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors, we borrow it from our children. Thank you for joining us and here's to delivering on this urgency now.